This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Stinkin' Truth Podcast is presented by Core Water. He spent 12 years in the NFL. You can't trust a guy that gyrates his hips after he scores. Has three Super Bowl rings. Made multiple Pro Bowl appearances. Over 16 years of broadcasting between ESPN and Fox Sports. And that's why I'm the greatest football player and best sports analyst ever. He's a soap opera star. That's pretty, uh... I can't remember what I was supposed to say. <laughs> As a reoccurring role on HBO Ballers. Mark Slareth, handsome son bitch, get out here. And makes one hell of a bowl of green chili. It's Mark Slareth, and this is the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Slareth alongside Mike Evans, Scott the Huff, our producer. Got to thank our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at uh, Core Water. Perfectly pH balanced to match your body's natural pH level of 7.4. Stuff is delicious. Award-winning, crisp, clean taste. Gigantic bottle with a big blue cap and a giant suck hole so you can get all that water right down into your gullet. Ah, delicious. Stay hydrated with Core Water. You can find them at 7-Eleven and all over the place where anywhere water is sold. That's Core Water. Check them out at hydratewithcore.com. Mike, how are you, my friend? You know, it's funny you bring that up because we got some uh, snow here over the weekend. Uh So, you know, you and I are both believers in multiple shoveling, you know, Mm -hmm. keep that thing nice and clean. So when I headed out, I made sure I was properly hydrated. No joke, I had a big... Um, core water with me. I stuck it in a snowbank to keep it nice and cold. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. I went to it uh, repeatedly throughout the course of shoveling. You did the you felt did great. The I not only did the shoveling, but I also for the first time fired up my snowblower. Woo! And I, I got to be honest with you, there, there is nothing that feels makes you feel more like a man. <laughs> That's right. Than, than blowing snow. Than blow it. There's just like I mean, it's just shooting out the side, you know, and it's shooting into the yard and you're cleaning for me I've got a pool, you know, so I'm cleaning off the pool deck so the dog can run around the outside of the pool deck and the thing is vibrating and it feels good on my nuts. And it's just shooting snow all over the place and I'm like, This is man. This is all about being a man right here. You got a little shimmy to me. <laughs> I loved it, 100%, yeah. all over the place. So much so that I actually drug my snowblower up to the front, which I shoveled my driveway. I shoveled I didn't snowblow I kept it in the back. But I drug it all the way up the back staircase, and then took it out to the front, and I uh, did all my neighbor's driveways. Of course, yeah. I did it at 6, six o'clock in the morning while they were sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> because I, you know, it, part of me was doing it because I'm a good neighbor. Then part of me was realizing, hey, I'm out here at 5:45 in the morning with my snowblower, just chucking snow all over the place, and it's just ripping. And then I thought to myself, well, some people are sleeping at 5:45 in the morning. I usually call those people losers, but they are sleeping at 5:45. So I'm going to go out here and I'm going to throw snow. So if you live next to me, you're going to get the benefit of me doing your driveway, but you're going to have to put up with the fact that I've got my snowblower on at about 5:45 in the morning. Did, did you expect people to pay you, by the way, uh, for no. doing their driveways? It was no, just neighborly, not. neighborly. 
It's just good stuff, huh? It's just what I do. It's just it's just who I am, Mike. It's just who That's I am. Just... Everybody got their everybody got their driveway done. You are the best. You are yeah. the best. So and and you were out. Your excuse should be I was just I was out early because I wanted to get comfortable and be able to watch the football yeah. over the weekend. And divisional round, the divisional weekend, which typically I think is not only the best weekend in football, but one of the maybe the best weekend in all of sports. Kind of was a downer. Kind of was a downer. Yeah, it not wasn't... a whole lot of drama. No, it it wasn't great. I mean, it was um, well. There was drama in the in the Saints Philly game. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, you're 100 percent right. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't great, quote unquote, great football. I mean, the dismantling of the of the Los Angeles Chargers was amazing. And you know what was incredible about that? Like, you're going to give Tom Brady like the goat. You're giving Tom Brady the answers to the test. Like we talked about this last week. Hey. When you watch them, they played in 2017, and, and Brady and, and the Patriots went to Los Angeles. They beat the Chargers 21-13. I think the running backs had um, 14 catches for like 163 yards. And, you know, Gus Bradley, is a, he, he was, he's a believer in the cover three kind of matchup zone, cover three system. And, you know, it's what he ran when he was in Seattle, and they won a world championship. And so that's kind of what they do. And that's great against your average quarterback. You better not give Tom Brady the answers to the test or Peyton Manning the answer to the test because they're going to hurt you. And sure enough, they're going to play that zone coverage system. And Brady, I mean, James White had 15 catches. Like their running back had 15 catches. I mean, it was it was amazing. And it's not all they did because they did a lot of other things in the passing game. I think. Brady was like 34 of 44 for 300 and some odd yards. But if you're going to line up and play zone, we're just going to – I mean, we're, we're our quarterback is going to eat you for lunch. And it's exactly what they did. So I was just disappointed in the Chargers from a game-planning standpoint, Mike, that you think you can just be who you are. We've got good enough players to be who we are, and you're going you're gonna to beat Tom Brady. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, so he – all the and you gotta love Brady coming out afterwards saying, "Well, you know, we suck, and you know, nobody thought we'd win this game. Right? Nobody thinks we're gonna win in Kansas City, and I mean, that's that's a rare position for the Patriots to be able to put themselves in. Uh, they they've very rarely been an underdog during this whole mm-hmm. run, mm-hmm. but they haven't won a road playoff game since I believe 2007. I think it was so. Right. I mean, you're you're talking about a long time since this team was, uh, you know, asked to go out on the road and win games. The last three times they've played on the road in AFC Championship games, twice here in Denver, once in Indy, they've uh-huh. lost. So, you know, I get the whole us against the world mentality, but remember, this is a team that was three and five on the road this right. year. So, where where is the confidence level in them being able to go and win at Arrowhead? Well, I would ask you this: good confidence pick. I mean, if it comes down like just Mahomes or Brady. Where's your confidence pick? And understanding the game is in Kansas City, your confidence pick. Mahomes, Brady. I think I would take Mahomes at home over Brady on the road right now. I mean, it's amazing. The fact that you even have to think about it, right? Like, the fact that I sat there and asked the question, I'm sitting there going, hmm, let me think. Who would I take? Right. Is is a testament to how good Mahomes has been. Now, here's, here's where I would lean. Here's where I would lean Brady. I would lean Brady in that Brady has seen everything. There is nothing that you can throw at Brady 
that he hasn't seen. Mahomes, there are some things that Mahomes hasn't seen. Now, he's been able to overcome those things. Um, So far, he's been able to thrive in those situations. But you can get him. Now, he may make something spectacular happen. If you watch both times the Broncos played him, they got him several times. And yet he was able to scramble out, make a play on the run, uh, scramble out, throw one left-handed for a first down. I mean, he did some he did some things that are just you know otherworldly things you shouldn't be able to do. But then when I start breaking it down, and I start thinking, okay, do I believe that Bill Belichick and the Patriots can put him in some you know compromising positions, some things that he hasn't seen before, and maybe get a turnover, maybe create a big play the opposite way? Yes, I do. So I would probably go my confidence pick is with Brady. One, because he's been there, he's done that, he's seen it. Two, because he's devastatingly handsome. <laughs> um, and and three, just because, you know, I have a restraining order against me because I have this, you know, unhealthy obsession with Tom Brady. You know, so, of all the of all the developments that came up during the weekend, uh-huh. where would you put the Chiefs play defensively? I mean, they right. made the Colts, who came in playing really well. I, I don't know if it was something wrong with Andrew Luck. I, the, the ball definitely wasn't uh-huh. coming out of his hand very well. But still, I mean, the, the, the Colts were completely shut down by a defense that we've long assumed to be the glaring Achilles heel for the Chiefs. Well, I mean, I, I think the biggest, the biggest issue is what Kansas City did. Um, and it, it, defensively, don't get me wrong. You know, Chris Jones, they batted down a bunch of passes. He was phenomenal. D. Ford was off the edge. I mean, just off the ball, and he's done that all year. But let's face it, the biggest thing that happened to you is you dropped 14 nothing to one of the most dynamic offenses in football, and it totally took you out of what you needed to do to win that game. And so the fact that, you know, you you go down 7 nothing, and then you, go to, you get a 3-and-out and you go down 14 nothing. At that point, you're sunk, like because you can't stay balanced. And um, D. Ford and, and those guys, they're good enough off the edge; they can rush the passer. Um, their their issue has been stopping the run. But you got down fourteen nothing. You basically scrap pile the run on your own. And so I, I think that I think I think some of that, some of the excitement for Kansas City, some of that's fool's gold. You know, because the offense was so dynamic, I think it was a little bit of fool's, fool's gold, and and you've got to take that into account. Um, you know, New England is not going to shoot themselves in the foot. They're not going to have a bunch of three and outs in a row, um, and they, and they're not going to get down. I don't think fourteen nothing right off the bat and scrap pile everything. So um, I just think it's a little bit like I think some of that success of Kansas City's defense was really about how good their offense was and how Indy, you know, got into kind of quote-unquote panic mode, if that makes sense. So, you know, props to you. I hate doing this. I hate giving you all kinds of credit. But, man, you've had it nailed all year long. With everybody talking about Sean McVay and the Rams' offense as being, wow, you know, this is revolutionary stuff. This is stuff we've never seen before. You've long insisted, hey, look, they're running. their running game is straight out of what you guys, the Broncos, used to do back in the late 90s. And... Then you go out and watch them just take apart the Cowboys on the ground mm-hmm. with Todd Gurley, C.J. Anderson brought in off the street. They ran the ball what like forty-eight times. 
Uh, credit to you. I mean, the, the Rams offense is actually very old school. It, it is. You know, sitting with Sean McVay uh, and talking to him, he was just like, listen, man, we run exactly what you guys ran in the 90s when you won back-to-back championships and had Terrell Davis run for 2,000 yards. We run wide zone. 18-19 handoff, 18-19 pitch, some handoff force. Um, you know, we do some some tight zone, but mostly wide zone is what we base out of. And we'll do a few other things here and there, but that's that's our base. And we want to press that side of the hole. We want to cut off the backside. We want to create a backside cutback lane. You know, the interesting thing is the article comes out where John Sullivan and a couple other offensive linemen for the Rams said, man, the Cowboys completely tipped it. We picked up some things on film, um, and they were about 90, 90% plus true and we knew exactly what they were doing and what games they were running. And so that's great. I mean, obviously that's incredibly helpful, and I've been there where I've studied film, and, you know, you can usually study film on a defensive line if you get to the sideline view. Most guys from the offensive line, they look at end zone because all you're doing is looking at end zone, but you don't see the depth of stance. So I used to make, when I was playing, I used to make our film guys put in a couple of uh, sideline tapes, the all 22 just so I could see depth of stance because defensive linemen can't help but tip what they're doing. Like every time they run a game, they're, one guy's going to be uptight, one guy's going to get a little bit more depth so he can clear. Um, that's just what they do. They, they can't help themselves. Um, and so you can usually get some tells. And, you know, I, I, I said this on television earlier today. I was like, listen, man. I tip my stance every single time because I came from the I came from the school as, of I'm better than you. So – like I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm still going to whip your ass because I'm going to out execute you. That's you know that was that's the mentality I came into the league with with the Hogs. That's how we operated. Like we're going to run the ball regardless of if you know where it's going or where it's you know what we're doing. We don't care. That's how we operate, and you know carried that over to the Broncos, and we were the same way. Um, you know when we were winning championships, we're just going to run the ball on you. But isn't that, isn't though that that part of you know, coaching, self-scouting, self-be aware that we are tipping things off and sure, and that we need to change some but, things? But here's the thing. Everybody everybody tips. Like, I'm gonna, if I'm pulling, you're going to know. You, you can tell if, you, if you've done any homework at all. You can look at my stance and go, hey, something's fishy. That guy's pulling. I mean, I tipped everything. I mean, and, and regardless of self-scouting, like, do I want to be in a stance where I can't get out and pull? Or would I rather be in a stance – uh, where I can, I can execute my job. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I just get to the point where it's like it really comes down to yeah, we all we all have a good idea of what's going on, and and you know, can you out execute your opponent? The bottom line is this, though, Mike. Here's what here's what kills me because the Cowboys never seem to adjust. What kills me about that is the worst thing you could possibly do against a team that bases in zone that is going to run zone blocking. The worst thing you can do is run games run tackle tackles or tackle end or end tackles because what happens is it completely it completely unfolds it's like reading a book it's like i can't read a book until i open up the pages what you've done is opened up the pages i can read the pages so when you're pinching down i can just say hey passing you off to my center working up to the next level you essentially take yourself out of your gap responsibility and go to a different gap and you're hoping somebody loops around and fills that other gap. Well, what happens is you distinguish, you distinguish the, the look for me. So it automatically my read becomes. I don't even have to think. It just it naturally appears. I push you over. 
I climb up to the next level. I take that guy before he can replace in that gap, and we have a wide-open chasm, and you can't defend it. Now, you may get me occasionally. You may get me for a yard or two yards or three yards, you know, or minus one, but then I'm going to gas you for 12, for 16, for 22, and for 40. And, and you know who used to do that to us all the time when I played for the Broncos? The Raiders. They thought they could get us. And you know what? They're going to get you occasionally. They're going to get you every now and again. And then you know what we're going to do? We're going to rip off a 42-yarder and a 64-yarder. And then we're going to rip off a bunch of 18-yarders and a bunch of – and it's just like the fact that you didn't adjust. I didn't think the Cowboys adjusted well on either side of the ball, meaning they were up 7-6, to six and – the Rams took the ball down on their first two drives and ended in field goals, but they controlled the line of scrimmage. They controlled both their drives. And I thought the Cowboys got to a point where they panicked and they thought, uh-oh, this is not going to be a 12-possession game. It's going to be about an eight-possession game, and now we got to start throwing it. And so instead of leaning on Zeke like you've always leaned on Zeke and creating some run options for your quarterback in, in Prescott – you decided, hey, we better throw this football, right, because we're, we're going to be eliminated possessions-wise. And instead of playing the Rams game, you fell into the trap, and you ended up getting yourself beat. And that was an eight-point game, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really that close for the most part. And I think, you know, I, I think that's kind of the, the trap that they fell into um, as that game went on. I mean, come on, Dak Prescott – um, shouldn't throw the ball 32 times a game. Dak Prescott should be about 20, 22 to 24 throws a game. And I, I just think you kind of fell into the trap. And then as far as the defense is concerned, you're running all these games and you're trying to use these penetration run blitz games. Um, and once you realized why you didn't realize that that wasn't going to work from the start, but once you got gashed, you would think you would adjust those things. I just don't think the Cowboys coaching staff did a good job of adjustments in that game. So where are the Cowboys at? You feel that they're in the right place, going in the right direction with Dak and Jason Garrett? I feel like they're a good, young football team. I think both lines of scrimmage have the opportunity to be uh, to be a dominant, you know, to be dominant. Um, yeah, I think, they're a, I think they're a very talented young football team. So I think that part is going in the right direction. Like I said, certainly would have loved to see them, um, you know, make some adjustments um, that they didn't make. But I still think they're a very talented young football team. You know, I think it was the great Jim Valvano who once said in the NCAA tournament, it's all about survive and advance. Survive and advance. Doesn't matter style points. It's just about finding a way to get to the next round. And, you know, the, the, the Saints did not win in a way that we ex- a lot of us expected the Saints to look playing at home. Mm-hmm. But, man, Philadelphia was playing so hard, matched up with that, that championship pedigree. To win a game like that where they were really tested, a lot yeah. of adversity, i I, I got to believe that gives the Saints a, a, an added boost going into next week, doesn't it? You would think. Rather it, than just winning easy. Right. Yeah, you would you would think obviously you drop fourteen nothing right off the bat. Still no panic by the Saints. Um, you know the exact opposite of the way the Cowboys approached that. Right? I mean it was complete opposite. You you end up putting it together, finding ways, and your your ability to convert on third down was absolutely phenomenal for the Saints. And and they are a running team. You were taken out of your run. 
you're taking out of the run game a bit, even though you averaged, you know, great yards per carry. But, um, you know, that is – that's the difference between having Dak Prescott and having Drew Brees, right? Um, Drew Brees is finding open receivers on third and 16 and converting, third and 20 and converting. I mean, he was absolutely amazing. Um, and, you know, the Saints came out and didn't play very well. They were a little bit rusty on both sides of the ball having – you know, again, and this is a real issue when you have it locked up really early, and I've been there before where you have it locked up so early that you end up, you know, taking week 17 off and maybe part of week 16 off, and then you get into a playoff game, and you really haven't had meaningful snaps in the better part of a month, like three, like two and a half, three weeks where you really haven't had, because of the bye week, um, significant, you know, important snaps. And I think that's what you saw – with the Saints and the fact that you can rally, play physical, you can shut them down in the fourth quarter. Uh, excuse me, in the first quarter, you're down fourteen nothing, and they never score again. Um, I think that I think that part was was exceptionally um, just exceptionally well done and really impressive for the Saints, and feel really good about them as a football team. This is a tough one for me because I got buddies on both staffs, Mike. I got buddies on the Saints, and I got buddies on the Rams staff, so. Makes it a really, you know, makes it a really hard one to kind of pick for me. Well, we'll get into all that preview championship weekend here a little bit later on in the week. But um, the the other fascinating story, and I know you've got some some insight on this based on your own personal experience uh, as a dad. But Kyler Murray, right? What to do? You know, do you do you go baseball or do you take the football route? You know, mm-hmm. understanding that. There isn't a long history of you know five foot nothing uh, quarterbacks who end up making it big in this league. So, right. but but what do you do? What do you bet on? Yeah, you know what I'm I'm telling you, I would me personally, if I was advising Kyler Murray, I would say the the short money and the long money is the NFL, which I think flies in the face of a lot of people because they see the you know, they see the, the the Albert Pujols deal. You know, they see those big, giant, hundred-plus million-dollar contract deals, and they just think to themselves, oh, my gosh, you know, that's the way to go. But you think about Kyler Murray now. Um, right now it's at $4.66 million signing bonus. They're trying to figure out a way. They've got another – they had 72 hours of it yesterday, so whatever that whatever that's left, 40, 48 hours or whatever – to uh to come up with a deal to counter because he wants fifteen million dollars or something like that, um so the Athletics are trying to counter that right now, um or lose him to the NFL draft because he can still I think he can still he declared but he can pull out after seventy two hours, uh, I think how that rule works so he's still got two days essentially to to pull out of the NFL draft if the A's come up with something but here's the deal having a son that played major league baseball. You know the path to Major League Baseball and path to the big money um, is is incredibly difficult. Think about this, Mike. So let's say that let's say that they came up with fifteen million dollars, okay? And so the the two were kind of relatively equal. The NFL, if he gets drafted late in the first round, which is expected, or if he goes, you know, in and he goes the baseball route, and they come up with the fifteen million dollars, okay? So those things are equal right now, okay? So you're going to go, the majority of guys spend three, three and a half, four years in the minors. And now you need three years of major league service before you're in in the 
in, like in arbitration eligible. So let's say your first three years are spent in the minors, your next three, and you're not making any money essentially. Your next three years are spent in big league baseball, and you're making the league minimum, which is about five hundred thousand dollars. Okay, then you hit arbitration. Now, if you're a star. You know, you're going to get an average of, you know, an average, you're going to get a, a really nice deal on the average of, you know, the top 15 players, say, somewhere in there. But if you're just an, if you're just a guy, a utility player, you know, you're going to, you're going to hit arbitration year and you're going to make a million and a half, two million bucks. And then after that year, so now we're at, we're at seven years, Mike, in then you have the chance to negotiate a, a long-term deal. And the only way you're going to make big, long money is if you're a superstar at that, at, at that point. You've got to be a star at that point to make the, the big-time dollars. So it's seven years, essentially, where before you're going to make the big money. NFL, you, go, you don't go to the minors. You go right to the NFL. And you're going to have a four-year deal with a with an option, a team option on the fifth year if you're a first-round draft choice. And if you light it up for the first three years, you're going to sign another contract. But the bottom line is this. You're going to have a chance to earn two contracts in the NFL before you have a chance to earn your first big contract in Major League Baseball. But here's the problem with that, and I get it. And you got to be smart, and you got to mm-hmm. look at the money. But if you are making a decision like this – based solely on what you can make, then th- that that's the wrong way to look at it. Uh, you gotta you got to follow your heart, don't you? I mean, mm-hmm. you got to do what you like to do. If you like playing baseball, if baseball is is what is your passion, then then you got to go that way, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm the A's, if I'm the A's in all of this, I'm I'm having a lot of second thoughts about Kyler Murray because if if he's willing to turn his back on us mm-hmm. just because of, of of the money then how much does this guy really want to play baseball how much am i convinced he's going to really stick it out through that tough road that you're talking about to right. become a star yeah i think i think if you have trepidation first off it has to be you have to it has to be love you're, the love of the you know which one you love the most what really drives you because both of them are going to be hard um, there's no question about that. They're both going to be hard. And then, you know, I don't blame Kyler Murray. I don't question his love of baseball. If he's trying, I mean, this is uh, a market economy, right? If you have the leverage, I mean, there's not very many times as a professional athlete where you have leverage. There's not many times in life, Mike, where you have leverage. Like, I mean, you've been doing, you've been in the radio game for how many years now? 20 something? Oh, yeah. How many times have you had leverage where they were so afraid to say, hey, we can't lose this guy because this other station or this other market's coming after him and, you know, to where you could really swing the hammer at yeah. whoever was employed. Once, and that, was, that wasn't even swinging the hammer. Right. That's what, I, what I'm saying. Like, I, you know, I played in the NFL. I started for 12 years. I never once had leverage, ever, because I had injury history and everything else. And in the television game. You know, I've never really had any leverage in the television game because, let's face it, you know, I played a, a position that's not sexy. I played offensive line, and, you know, it just it, it is what it is, you know. Now, so, in the radio game, you had the hammer. It was Thor-like. Well, that's a little different. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't swing it hard. No, but you. I just 
you, you know, had I just, it. yeah, I just, you had couple, it at your disposal. I bloody a couple fingernails if needed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I, but you're like, Mark Schlereth. That's right. That's right. I didn't go. What was the movie Mel Gibson was in that they crushed his feet with a hammer? Remember that movie? Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, right. don't don't know right off the top of my yeah, head. De Huff is, is is efforting. Just Google Mel Gibson getting foot feet, smashed, feet crushed. You know, right? What was that in? I can't re- I can't remember, but I just do remember them swinging that hammer on the feet and I was the whole time I was like I mean I stub my toe and I fall on the ground and cry like a you know like a baby payback stubbing your toe hurts though payback payback was that it sounds good to me I'll Uh, go with that before we before we wrap this up uh huh can you explain what the hell was going on with Adam Gase's eyes at his press conference dude I wasn't sure if they hired Adam Gase or Crazy Eye Steve Buscemi? Like, <laughs> what the hell? Who, huh? who did you guys? Come what, on, you what? know, you know Adam. You've done. I do. You sat across from him in a in a meeting. Is that like? Does that happen? Because that'd be distracting as hell. Like, hey, whoa, I have, no, I am, whoa, over here, no, hey, here, whoa. I have never, I have never ever seen Adam look like that. Like, I've never seen him. Go all googly crazy eyed on people. Uh, like I've never seen that ever before. I am uh, I am absolutely flummoxed by it. But here's the deal: like I haven't like I haven't received a return text. I've texted him several times here in the last couple of uh, in the last couple of uh, uh, weeks or so, and he hasn't returned one of my texts. I'm thinking because he can't see anything on his phone. It's like he usually gets right back to me. I'm like, what's wrong with Adam? Did he, he change focus. his number? Can't focus he on his text. No, he can't read that. Look at those eyes. There's no way he can read his text messages. So is, is that one of those things that, like, because you know now you're going to become an internet um, go-to. You know what I mean? It's like, right. cry, it's like crying Jordan. You know, you're going to become an internet go-to. Oh, yeah. So is that something that... You're a forever, that, what do they call memes? Yeah. You're a you, meme for the rest of your life. Are, is that something that you're like dreading now because you know it's going to be out there or you know that you will live forever? You you are now immortal. Yes. Is that something you're most proud of? Yes, you are Connor McLeod, the McLeod McLeods, <laughs> and you are immortal. <laughs> right? Yeah, well... Uh, I don't know. Every time, come on. Every time you see it, like there's got to be some. There's got to be a reason. Like I want to know what the, like, do they come out with an excuse or they come out with, um, like, hey, Adam had just been to the eye doctor and got his eyes dilated. <laughs> like, do they come out with that? Like, uh, you got to come up with something. You got to come up. You know, cause... and you know, whatever they come up with, it's going to be a complete and total lie, right? Right. right. Yeah, you know so, he had you know sensitivity to lights. There were a lot of cameras. He was having right. trouble focusing. I, I I don't know. He, he was having a migraine. I don't I don't know. Yeah, but so, boy, you you know though that forgiving New York media will certainly give him a pass on this one. Yeah, you better come out and win the division. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. Otherwise, it'll be like, hey, of but, course he can't win hey, here. He's got hey, crazy eyes. Pay no attention to my crazy eyes. I got a plan for Tom Brady. Right. <laughs> By the way, guys, so uh, Gase was on a ESPN radio show uh, yes, on Monday. Uh-huh. And he had no idea what everybody was talking about. In no regards- idea? Yeah, he had no idea. He said, I don't even know what this is or what this is. Gase said, uh, I don't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. 
I don't look at the internet. I don't really watch TV. I watch movies. That's it. The only time I get to know anything is when somebody tells me. Well, well you might want to have a friend reach out. Yeah. Adam, um, you apparently don't read your text messages either, but let me just tell you, your eyes look like a freak show. (laughs) Total freak show. All right. On that note. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, want to thank everybody involved in the uh, show. Thank you so much for listening. For Scott the Huff, Mike uh, Mike Evans, and uh, the great folks over at Core Water, our presenting sponsor. Thank you so much. We'll be back with you later in the week to uh, break down the uh, the championship round of the NFL playoffs. The Stinkin' Truth Podcast presented by Core Water. Subscribe to the Stinkin' Truth Podcast via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, and plenty of other podcast platforms. <laughs>